The reading from the Old Testament, Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge for the poor and decide with equity for the oppressed of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall, die, shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion will feed together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. The reading from the New Testament, Matthew 3, verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I, and I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I love that Advent 
starts right on the heels of Thanksgiving because it kind of sets the precedent for this harvest that is to come. You see, during the season of Advent, we, uh, we get really caught up in the whole baby in a manger scene. And don't get me wrong, this is an important part of Advent, but it's only a portion of Advent. The baby in a manger, the birth of Christ that we reflect on in the Gospels, this is a part of this season, but it is a part of this season in reference to something more. You see, Advent is a time of anticipation, expectation. But how are we to anticipate or expect something that has already happened? What are we going to do with something that is already in the past? It's great to have that there, but we use that as a resource to look forward. The season of Advent we also use as a time to look ahead to when Christ comes again in final glory. And Jesus himself often referred to this second coming time, the coming of the kingdom of God, as a harvest. Using statements like in Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Or perhaps in John 4, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Then again in Mark chapter 4, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. When the crop permits, he immediately puts it, puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. Advent is a time of anticipating harvest. And do understand that in Jesus' day, this agrarian society that they were in, this concept of harvest was a very significant one. Because were it not for the harvest, the people had very little. Very little. We live in a day where we can take that for granted, but the harvest was essential for these people. And awaiting that harvest, that, again, is only half of the story. You see, there's another side to the harvest. While a farmer might gather the fruit of this harvest, we have to wonder for ourselves what happens when the fruit that is produced is not good, when the harvest doesn't yield something edible, the harvest doesn't yield enough. What happens when the fruit is not good? In our gospel lesson from Matthew, John the Baptist has the answer for us. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Man, this would be a great time to break out into a hellfire and brimstone sermon. It's like set up for it. But as you know, that's not really my style. We instead use what John is talking about here, about what happens when there isn't good fruit, to then look ahead to what it means to have good fruit. Advent is a time of preparation, anticipation, hope, and expectation, and our charge in the midst of it is to consider what is the good fruit we could bear? What is the fruit that John refers to as worthy of repentance? The answer for us lies in our Old Testament lesson from Isaiah. 
Isaiah in this portion is prophesying about the coming Messiah and the world that he will create. In this prophecy, we hear about a scenario that is highly unlikely. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion will feed together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So I have to ask. Let's see if you were paying attention. Quiz time. What kind of world is described here in Isaiah? What is this world? What's that? Utopia. A utopia? I like that, yeah. What does that mean, though? What is a utopia characterized by? Living in harmony. Mm, yes. Harmony. Anything else here? A lack of conflict. A lack of conflict. Yes. Peace. Peace. Yes. Yeah, how appropriate, right? We light the candle of peace today. Uh, yet these scenarios are highly unlikely. Earlier this year, back in uh, May, I think it was, uh, we had the awesome opportunity to go to uh, Montana. And while we were in Montana, we were hiking in all of these various different areas. And in one particular area we were trying to get to, probably the most beautiful scene that we uh, ever experienced while we were there, a place called Grinnell Lake, you absolutely have to go, uh, in Glacier National Park, uh, was very difficult for us to get to because uh, the day we pulled up just happened to be the day after a grizzly bear and a moose got into a fight right in the parking lot and uh, broke some of the windows of the resort that was there. <laughs> Uh, in fact, you can actually find the video of this on YouTube. Somebody captured the whole, the whole battle between these two. Yeah, some of these animals in here, they don't get along, right? And so this scene that's pictured here isn't exactly what we would expect to happen in everyday life. If a child is putting their hand over the nest of a snake, it's probably not going to end too well for that hand. But Isaiah prophesies about... A world of peace, harmony, without conflict, this utopia. Peace is becoming a confounding trait in our world. But it's everything that God wants for us. Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes remind us, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We often talk about things like, world peace, you know, whenever it comes to the grand global public stage, or if you're in a Miss America pageant or something like that. I remember the movie Miss Congeniality comes to mind. <laughs> but we rarely consider the role of peace in our own world, in our families, our communities, right around us. Yes, that's something that we want, but we don't consider what it means to have that kind of peace right around us particularly when it's so much easier to be a person of discord, 
and to argue with people who are different than us, right? I mean, we're in the holiday season. I'm sure we all have that one family member who just likes to push some buttons when we all get together. Or is that just a stereotype that only happens in my family? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's very easy to be that kind of person. In fact, we see that happening all around us. To begin with, the United Methodist Church right now is being ripped apart as we, see, as we speak because people think that it is more important to sow hate around LGBTQ persons rather than to sow the good fruit of peace that grows reconciliation. Instead, we want to splinter off and become as many different churches as we can. Discord. Our country is being ripped apart by the absolutely ridiculous notion of red versus blue, left versus right, Republican versus Democrat. Oh, if only we could have listened to our forefathers who warned us against a two-party system and focused instead on building peace. Or was it not Abraham Lincoln who quoted Jesus saying, a house divided against itself cannot stand? The season of Advent and Christmas have a long record of being connected to peace. Perhaps we need to learn how to let that peace flow beyond this season and let it be the worthy fruit of our everyday lives. And so I want to present you with something today. I have handouts because I like tangible things. And so I'm going to like try to split this in half and ask for a little bit of help here. If you can just like pass these around. I can stay standing. Thank you so much. This is a very special prayer. A prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. I'm a big fan of St. Francis. In fact, if I was Catholic, I'd probably be Franciscan because uh, he's just a fantastic human being. Uh, and also, he really loved animals, and I feel like, like th there's just such purity of heart with this man. And this particular prayer that uh, we have before us is a, uh, quite a profound one. Um, this prayer of peace. And this prayer of peace uh, is, is broken into two parts. Um, and as we get it passed around, thank you all so much for helping out with that. I want us to pray this prayer together in this space. So if you would pray this prayer with me. Lord, Make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in the giving that we receive. It is in the pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in the dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. 
Such a beautiful, profound prayer. I hope that you will hold on to this, keep it with you, uh, because it reminds us of our charge as Christians, that we are supposed to be a people who sow peace. And, and not just who sow peace, but who sow peace in the face of its opposite, where there is hatred, love, where there is injury, pardon, doubt, faith, despair, hope, darkness, light, sadness, joy that we are supposed to be a people who combat the things of this world that try to burden us, overwhelm us, keep us against each other. We are called to be a people who act countercultural to all of that. My goodness, there is plenty of discord in our world right now. Might we be an instrument of peace? But I love especially the second part of this prayer because it challenges us in the things that uproot our peace. Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. Right? We feel like it's our, uh, it's our right to be comforted whenever we aren't comfortable. But rather, it is our charge to comfort others. Grant that I might not so much seek to be understood as to understand. If you've ever seen a political debate happen across social media, Facebook or Twitter or something like that, it's, I mean, it's the most petty and childlike thing that I think I've ever seen. Uh, because it's, it's not like people are trying to get someone else to see their perspective. They're trying to convince somebody this is the right way. And oh my goodness, they are not going to hear anything else. But there's a little trick that uh, we therapists use in, uh, in marriage counseling. Whenever couples uh, find disagreements with one another, we have each couple tell their side. And then we have the other person, one, one of the other people say, what did that person just say to you? To repeat back what was just said. Because we have this tendency that while somebody is talking to us about something we don't like or we don't, uh, we don't agree with or something like that, we are immediately formulating our rebuttal because we want to be right. That's how political debates work too. They don't actually ever get to any kind of common sense. It's just back and forth, back and forth. And there's no peace because we don't want to understand. Oh, Master Grant, that I might not so much seek to be loved as to love, we have this important, though dangerous, need to be embraced by society. We want to be loved. And that's not wrong, but it becomes a challenge whenever our experience of feeling loved is only built up because we are acting the same way as the people around us because we want to fit in, right? Uh, have, you, have you ever seen that uh, person, or maybe you've been that person at a sporting event where you wore the jersey or represented the team even though you didn't even care? 
right? You're just trying to fit in because everybody else is doing it. We kind of do this at, uh, in society our own. We try to adopt what our society says is right, what the people around us say is right, because we want to be loved. And that's more important to us than to love the outcast, the least, the lost, the loved, uh, unloved, the lonely. For it is in the giving that we receive, in the pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. This prayer of St. Francis, I hope, is one that you will keep with you as a reminder of what it means to bear fruit worthy of repentance. For the fruit that we are called to is peace. To be peacemakers. To be people who sow goodness, love, pardon, faith, hope, light, joy. To be people who love with joy for peace out of our hope. And that is my challenge for you today, to bear fruit worthy of repentance, the fruit of peace. While the world, our nation, our churches sow conflict, distress, harm, let us be a people who sow peace, love, pardon, faith, hope, light, and joy. Let us bear fruit right where we are, because peace emanates from within. They say, you reap what you sow. So, let it be peace. And let us pray.